week number two into our series, The Gospel According to Leviticus. And so uh, last week we just opened it up and set it up. Hopefully, if you were here, you found that somewhat interesting and you got your minds peaked a little bit for uh, what's to come. If you weren't here, uh, hopefully... <laughs> Uh, ho- hopefully you're not thinking we're crazy, because we're a little bit crazy. We're going to do six months in this book, and I'm really actually excited about it. So we'll actually get to the book of Leviticus, which we did not do last week. We'll get to that this week. Um, and, and we're just going to dip a toenail in this week, uh, and it, it'll be good. So as we prepare to enter God's word, would you join me in prayer? Father, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And above everything, we pray that Jesus Christ would be our chief concern. Even so, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Last week, we left the Israelites and Moses standing before the temple, or the tabernacle, excuse me. The tabernacle had been built outside of the Israelite camp, and after it had been built, the the, the cloud of God's glory settled on the tabernacle, and Moses stood with the people at a distance, looking at the cloud of glory over the tabernacle, and we're told that Moses could not enter the tabernacle because the Lord's glory was there. Now, this is a bit odd for us because, as we saw throughout the book of Exodus, and if you've read through Exodus, and uh, you, you can remember this, that there are multiple times in which Moses himself entered into the cloud of God's glory. The cloud settles on Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai a number of times to hear from God, to converse from God. There's even a time in which Moses demands to see the face of God. God says, you can't handle that, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, put my hand over it, and my glory will pass by. So there's all of these times in which Moses has been in the presence of God's glory, but here at the end of Exodus, after the tabernacle is built, the glory of the Lord settles on it, and Moses himself cannot enter. And we have this very clear picture of Moses and the people being separated from God. God is there, God is over the tabernacle, in the tabernacle, and we are here. We are separated, we are alienated. There is no way for us to meet with God, even the one who has been our mediator, Moses, cannot. And this creates the crisis that Leviticus answers. There's this crisis of if God is there, how can we meet with God? Which is the ultimate like overarching crisis that the Bible is getting at. Like the Bible tries to answer the question is how how as human beings can we once again dwell with God? Leviticus is asking that same question but a little bit more specifically of how can we meet with God in the tabernacle? Now, As we press into Leviticus, let's just acknowledge up front that it is a difficult, sometimes boring book to get through, right? Can we just be really honest about that? That it is not everybody's first, like, if you ever play the game of like, this morning I'm going to read my Bible, but I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do, so I'm just going to open it up. Nobody's going, please, please, please let it fall in Leviticus, right? Like, usually, like, we play that game, open Leviticus, ah, we'll try it again, let's go for a psalm here. It's like, right? Like, nobody's dying to get through this book. And one of the reasons that it's so difficult for us is, well, I think, I think it, 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 it's surrounded by these books that are driven by narrative, 
right? So you got Genesis, which is all this, this, this deep narrative about what Israel's history. It's really the prehistory of Israel and how Israel came to be. Then you've got uh, uh, Exodus, which is God calling Israel out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. Then you've got Deuteronomy, which is where Israel really became a nation, right? This is the, the, the narrative that's being driven there. And even though there's a lot of laws in Deuteronomy, the narrative there is how does Israel become a nation? And then you've got Numbers, which again can be a little bit tedious, but also has a lot of narrative, which is about the Israelites making their way through the desert to the edge of the promised land. There's these, so each of these four books within the Pentateuch have a very strong narrative drive behind them, which makes it much easier for us to, pa- to, 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 to digest. But then smack in the middle of these four books is Leviticus. <laughs> and it's just... I mean, it's a lot of law, it's a lot of ritual and code about how to sacrifice animals. I mean, it's got got two short stories in it, but there's really no narrative to the book itself. In fact, I was uh, was talking with a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he's like, so I saw on social media that you're doing like six months in Leviticus. I'm like, yeah. He's like, huh, that's a lot of blood, (laughs) right? Like, this this is the book. And, and, and yet, it's right between these books and narrative. And so I think that that's why, or one of the reasons why it's a difficult book for us to get through. But, but I think what might help us, again, I don't think it's going to solve the problem of making Leviticus super relevant to our lives without doing some deep work. But what I think will help is to understand that Leviticus, while it doesn't have a lot of narrative within the book pushing it forward, there is, there is a way in which it feeds fits neatly into the narrative of Israel's history. So turn with me to, if you got your Bibles, Exodus 40, the very end. So hopefully you were in Leviticus for chapter 1, just a page over or whatever, Exodus 40, starting at verse 34. We read this last week, but I'm going to read it a little bit differently. So just keep following along with me. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. The Lord called to Moses, Leviticus, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, whenever, when anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. Did you catch how smooth that transition was? In fact, if you find some translations, it doesn't begin with the Lord called to Moses. It actually begins with, and he called Moses. Which implies, the and, implies there was something that came before it. What came before it? Exodus 40. And, the Moses, and, and Moses and the Israelites standing at the temple, recognizing their separation from God and saying, Now what? How do we meet with God? And as that question rises up in the hearts and the minds of the people, the Lord called Moses. Yeah. There's even a, this is even a really another way that the story or Leviticus fits into the story of Israel. Turn with me to Exodus 40, looking at verse 17. I want you to see this. 
Exodus 40, verse 17. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. Okay? So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 1. Right after Leviticus. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses in the tent of meeting in the desert of Sinai on the first day of the second month of the second year. So the tabernacle is built and completed on the first day of the first month of the second year. And then Numbers starts, this part of the story in which Israel now is going to make its way towards the promised land on the first day of the second month in the second year. So between Exodus 40 and Numbers 1, there's one month time span. What happened in that one month? Leviticus. That's what happened. And so again, while Leviticus doesn't have a narrative that's driving it forward, it fits neatly into the narrative of Israel's history. Israel goes to Mount Sinai, has all the things that happen there, like the giving of the Ten Commandments, the, the, the golden calf and all that happens. Moses moving his tent outside the camp of the people, the people wondering how are we going to meet with God, the building of the tabernacle, the glory of God settling on the tabernacle, but Moses not being able to enter it. How then do we enter into this? Leviticus. And so for all of the regulations, for all of the rituals, for all of the ceremony that Leviticus is talking about, it's both trying to answer this question of how do we as humans meet with God and prepares the people then for the journey that they're going to have going into the promised land. This is what the book is about. Now, another way to think about it, and another way in which Leviticus stands out. If you remember last week, we said that the, that the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that they kind of have, the, have what they call a chiastic structure, which means that they, they're forming an X. Chiastic, uh, chi is the, the Greek letter here, and it's an X. Uh, the chiastic structure, meaning they move in towards the center. There's sort of this mirroring that happens. So Genesis, Deuteronomy, Levitic, uh, uh, Exodus, and Numbers, and then right in the center, you have Leviticus. Leviticus is the point of the whole thing because Leviticus is answering the question that's driving everything else, Right? And Leviticus at the center stands out as a different kind of book. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. These are books of history. Leviticus is not a historical book. Whereas the other four books are about history, Leviticus is a book about holiness. It, and that sets it apart from the other books. Leviticus is a book about holiness. But what I hope we begin to see is that the holiness that Leviticus talks about is a, is, is a different kind of holiness, or at least approaches holiness in a way that is different for many of us. This book about holiness begins with three words. The Lord called. The Lord called. In fact, 
it, within the first verse, we're going to see three, if you look at the first verse, you'll see three distinct verbs that pop up in there. First, the Lord called, then the Lord spoke to Moses, and then the Lord said, called, spoke, said. All happen in that first verse of, Le, verse of Leviticus. Now, those three verbs, called, spoke, said, are all quite similar in the action that they are describing, Correct? They're all about communication. They're all about talking to. They're all about some sort of relationship that's happening. You can only call someone, speak to them, or say to them when you have some kind of relationship with them, right? And so we have to pay attention to this because this kind of repetition in the Bible, anytime there's repetition of, of an idea or a word or even a, a, a root kind of word, right? If there's, if there's any kind of that repetition, you want to pay attention because the author is trying to drive a point home. And by placing those three verbs at the very beginning of the book, it's been communicating to us, this is what the book is about. This is going to be necessary for your understanding of the book. So, so maybe it's helpful, because sometimes I think we hear like, okay, there's three verbs here, they're all kind of similar, that's going to set up the book. Sometimes I think that that feels a little esoteric for us, right? Like, okay, that's some great academic stuff, but I don't really see how that applies. Think of it like this. When you go to a movie, the first 10 minutes of the movie often tell you everything you need to know about how to sit in the midst of that movie and what kind of movie you're going to see, right? In the first 10 minutes, there's typically some sort of dialogue. The characters are established. There's a musical score or there's a lack of musical score. And all of these different things work together to get you in the proper mood for the movie that you're going to see, right? If you're going to see a romantic comedy, it doesn't make sense for it to be playing like minor key, deep, like scary music, right? You, you would hear that at the beginning and then just be like, wait, what, what? I didn't think, I thought I was coming to see Jennifer Aniston. What is this, right? In the same way, if a movie starts with that kind of music and you are a person who does not like horror movies, you know it's time to leave, Right? Because that, that is setting up for you and defining your expectations of what is to come about that particular movie. So in the same way, when, a, when an author of the Bible does something like what the writer of Leviticus does and uses this kind of repetition, the Lord called and then he spoke and then he said, it, it begins to posture us. Okay, God... God isn't just speaking here. God is summoning. God called. God spoke. God said. Like, he's summoning. God is in relationship with. It's almost as if you go, okay, if the dominant question that's, that's running through our minds is, is how can we meet with God in the tabernacle, now all of us are saying that, oh, God is telling us how. God is communicating how we can dwell with him. God wants us to dwell with him. Like all of this is being communicated here. The first word in, the Levit in, in Leviticus, in Hebrew, is the word vaikra. Uh, it, it looks German or Russian. It is not. It is Hebrew. Vaikra. And it literally means, and he called. It's the first word of the book of Leviticus. 
Now, if you were a Jewish person, you would not know the book of Leviticus as the book of Leviticus. It is not what they call the book. They call the book Vaikra, and he called. God is calling. God is summoning. God is inviting. Vaikra. And where we get the book of Leviticus, or the, the word Leviticus from, Leviticus, I believe it's Greek, and it means pertaining to the Levites, right? So the Levites were from the tribe of Levi, one of the sons of Jacob. And the Levites were set aside for the priestly role. They were the priest in the Jewish society. And so the book just began like, hey, all of this stuff is about what the priests have to do. We're going to call it Leviticus, pertaining to the Levites. But let's be honest about it. What, book, what, what name sounds more interesting to you? Vaikra, or, or if we were just going English, the book and he called. Or, this morning I'll be reading from the book of pertaining to the Levites. Do you see how cold, impersonal, just sort of rigid even, the word Leviticus is? And it begins to set us up for how we are going to read this book. But what if I said this morning we're going to read from the book, and he called, and he summoned. Suddenly, suddenly I'm going to start paying attention a little bit more. I'm going to be a little bit more interested because this sounds relational. This sounds like, some, like God is wanting to connect in some way. And so there's, like, I want to enter into that. I want to experience that kind of intimacy where the call of God is evident, where I hear that call, where I experience that call, where I have the opportunity to respond to that call. This is, this is how we need to approach this book. This is a book of holiness that begins with, and he called, which tells us something about the holiness that God is calling us into. Notice here that the call to holiness happens before any sacrifice does. Not one goat, not one bull, not one dove has even been mentioned in terms of coming to the altar before God says, and he called. He called happens first. God speaks first. God summons first. God says first. So often when we think about holiness, we think about holiness in terms of what we have done or what we have not done, right? And so we get to be holy if we're pure, if we haven't sinned, if we haven't messed up, if we haven't screwed up. But what What Leviticus is communicating right up front is, no, 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 no. Holiness has little to do with what you do or not do. It has everything to do with God calling you. See, we enter holiness not because we become holy by what we do or don't do by our deeds. We are holy because God calls And when we frame holiness as the call of God on our lives, we can begin to separate it from morality. Now, I'm not saying morality is unimportant. I'm not saying we shouldn't be good moral people. I'm not saying any of that sort of stuff. But too often the trap is that we begin to think that our morality, our ability to be good people, our ability to follow the rules and make good choices is the thing that sets us apart. It's the thing that makes us holy. But what I want to put out there for us to think about this morning is the idea that actually what makes us holy is God's call. And part of the way we can begin to think about it is God is holy. 
right? God is the only one who is perfectly pure and the one who is perfectly holy. God is the only one who is separate and distinct, right? And God's holiness has nothing to do with what God does or does not do. Rather, God's holiness is innate to his very character. God's holiness is who God is. And so to to talk about holiness in light of God is to not talk about behavior at all. But rather, it's to talk about this characteristic, this this intangible quality. And the rabbis picked up on this relatively quickly. And I think they do in some ways better than we do because for us, holiness is so tied to behavior. But for them, it was something different. This Rabbi Eliezer Berkovitz, he said this, the holiness of God means also the closeness of God. God the infinite is also God the intimate. So notice here that holiness is directly connected to the closeness, to the presence of God, to not being separated, but to now find oneself in a relationship of intimacy. Another rabbi by the name of Joseph Soloveitchik, uh, he, said, he talks about holiness, and I, I love this. He frames it as this way, to think about holiness is to think about at-homeness in space and time. Have you ever thought about holiness in this way? That to be holy is to be fully at home in space and time. And particularly what, what I think uh, Joseph was getting, Rabbi Joseph was getting here is that the person that's at home in space and time is also in, at home with the God who inhabits space and time. Again, God is not outside of space and time, but rather God is a God who acts in history. And so holiness at-homeness and space and time is being at home with God, those times in which God acts in history when his presence is vivid and it's tangible among us. Holiness is at-homeness when you are with God in this undeniable way. Holiness is not anything that we bring, but it's not anything that we manufacture. It's not anything that we we can uh, uh, earn, but rather holiness becomes this thing that we enter into and settle down with. We enter into the presence of the one who is holy, and by being in the presence of the one who is holy, we ourselves are made a little more holy. The more we can be at home with that, the more, well, let me say it, the more we are at home in the presence of God, the closer we are. The more intimate. And so for all of the ritual and ceremony that Leviticus lays out, What we have to see is that this is a book that is telling humanity. This is how you become at home in the presence of God. This is how you become a people who are holy, who are intimate, who are close, who are at home with the divine. This is your vocation, 
right? This is the thing that you are to do in the world. This is the sacred task that you have been given. You are to be a holy people dedicated and set apart specifically to the God who has called you up out of the land of Egypt. And so for you to fulfill this task, you have to be at home with the divine. And this is the call that went to the Jewish people, and this is the call that it then extends to us in Christ Jesus. First Peter says it like this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Vaikra, and he called. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful life to be a holy people, to be a people who are close to God, to intimate with God, at home with God. And that call then is a reflection of God's endearment for us. The reason that God calls is because God loves. To remember that we are a called people is to remember that God has looked upon us with affection that God has saved us, that God will be with us, that God will never leave or abandon us. And that it's from this place of being a called people that we receive our vocation to be a royal priesthood, to be a holy nation. And our vocation is not defined by the task, by the things that we do, but rather it is defined by our nearness to the one who called. This is the good news. That God has called. And not only has God called and then said, you figure it out, but God called and then made a way for us to be close. And the activities that are laid out in the book of Leviticus have power because God called his people to them. Because God said, through these things, I will draw close to you. And that gains even more power through his son, Jesus Christ. That no longer does God say, I need you to do these things, or through these things you will be close, but rather, through my son, you will be close. And so I'm calling you through Jesus Christ. And this calling is central to who God is. God is the one who calls the universe into existence. God is the one who called to Adam in the garden. God is the one who called Abraham to leave his father and mother and set out for a land that he knows not of. God is the one who called Moses from the burning bush. God is the one who called to Samuel in the middle of the night. God is the one who called to Mary and said, you will be with child. God is the one who called to Joseph and said, don't you dare leave her. God is the one who called to Paul on the, on the road to Damascus. God is the one who called from the shore in his son Jesus Christ to the disciples and said, leave your nets and follow me. And God calls you. And God calls me. God calls us so that we might be close to him, so we might be intimate, so we might no longer be separated and alienated. And in our closeness to God, as God himself draws near to us through his son, Jesus Christ, we, 
who with unveiled faces encounter the Lord's glory are transformed from one degree of glory to the next with increasing glory which comes from the Lord himself. So let me try to bring this home because it's been a really good deal. It's been a fun theological conversation for me. Thank you for entertaining me and just letting me talk. Let me try to bring this home. Are you feeling separated from God? Are you feeling like God is over there and he's in a cloud, he's hidden, he's, he's, he's unapproachable? Does it seem like God is hard to find? Then, then let me offer just a little bit of good news for you. God is calling to you. God is calling to you. And the call that went out to Moses at the beginning of Leviticus was not just to Moses, but very quickly in verse 2 already it says, when any of you. The call that goes to Moses that... God extends from the place where God dwells is the call that is going out to you and God is inviting you. Come. Come into my presence. Come into the place where I'm dwelling. Come meet with me. Paul picks up on this idea in Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. If you are feeling separated from God, if you are feeling like God is far off, if you feel like God is hiding in the cloud, then I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he has called you. God is not far off. God is not distant. God is not hiding. God is will continue to call you. Second, I pray that as you listen and hear the call of God, that you would remember that God calls you through to holiness through his son Jesus Christ. You see, when God called Moses back in Exodus, or at the beginning of Leviticus, where was God calling Moses from? He was calling him from the tabernacle, from the tent of meeting. Now, what did John, at the beginning of his gospel, say about Jesus? And the word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle, among us. And Jesus even spoke of his body in this way as the dwelling place of God, right? Tear down the temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And everybody wondered what he was talking about. And what John says is he was talking about his body. The body of Jesus Christ is the dwelling place of God. Jesus is the ultimate tabernacle. He is the presence of God on earth. And so when God calls to us from the tabernacle, he's calling to us from Jesus himself. Come, this is the way. This is how you enter. This is how you are made holy. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Or 2 Thessalonians 2.14, he called you through our gospel, through the good news that God has come. 
That God has made the ultimate sacrifice. That no longer does the sacrifice have to be laid up on the altar, but Jesus on the cross is the sacrifice that makes the way that we can be in the presence of God. And so when God calls you, he calls you through his son. And I'm going to tack one more good news piece onto this. When God calls you, he calls you. calls you. I think, I think many of us have had this experience that when we hear the gospel preached, when we hear the good news that God has drawn near to us in the person of Jesus Christ and that God himself went up on the cross and died the death that we deserve because of our sin and has granted us forgiveness through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, his son, there's this thing in us that twitches. There's this thing that nudges us and says, that's, that, that's for me. Whether it's the first time we've heard it or whether we've heard it a thousand times, that there's this thing that catches our breath and says, it is utterly overwhelming me for me to comprehend that God would do this for me. And God says, but I did. And that whisper to the depths of your soul, that calling out from the deep to the deep, is God calling you. Vaikra. I'm speaking. Hear what I'm saying to you. Would you come into my presence? You don't have to be alienated any longer. You don't have to feel separated. I'm here. And I want you to be close. I want you to experience holiness. And because it is I who am calling you, you can be assured that everything you've longed for, for the intimacy with me, for the forgiveness of sins, for the the rest that your soul longs for, like all of those things that keep you, that that, that nudge you and, 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 and keep you awake at night, all of those things, they're found in me, and I'm not going to take them away. Romans 11, 9, or 11.29 says that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. They're not going anywhere. God calls, and it's a call to hope. It's a call to not give up on the impossible impossibility. It's a call to find rest and to stop searching because God himself has made a way. It's a call to at-homeness with the divine. Vaikra. And he called. And he calls. God is calling. Let us pray. Father, I give you thanks that you are the God who calls and you don't just call particular people and you haven't just called a few over time, but you have called each and every one of us. You have called us into the glorious inheritance that belongs to Jesus Christ and we get to participate in because of the Holy Spirit. You have called us. 
You've called us to be ministers of reconciliation because we are a people who have received reconciliation. You have called us to be a people of grace and mercy because we have received grace and mercy. You are a God who continues to call us even when we stray, even when we walk away. May we make good use of the means of grace that you have extended to us in your son, Jesus Christ, that we, when we hear the call, would answer. May we enter into the home to the holiness of your very presence. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.